Welcome back to DMnastics, the gym for dungeon masters to work out their minds. I'm DM Neil, aka Joke Maniac, and I have the wonder from down under, the amazing Morgan Jenkins, or uh, DM Doug Spiracy. Oh, true. The wonderful DM Doug Spiracy on the forums. There's a Doug, and he's Spiracing. There are so many Dougs that it, I don't know if I've ever actually fully explained what the Doug Spiracy is, but it boils down to the fact that four. Out of every out of every five NPCs that you come across, one of them is going to be called Doug, and I don't know how it happens. My players don't know how it happens, and it certainly got nothing to do with the fact that I can't think of names and just default to Doug. Nope, and that's not it at all. And so there is some kind of worldwide conspiracy in the Forgotten Realms at the moment about these Dugs that just keep turning up everywhere they go. Mm-hmm. We are Doug. <laughs> We are Doug. And then I think Doug became a Kraken and then became a baby Kraken. It got very confusing very quickly. But all we know is that Doug is adorable. Mm -hmm. Doug the Kraken is actually an acronym for the dumb old ugly grabber. That happened. What? Mm -hmm. You didn't know that I did that? I did not know that you did that. Mm -hmm. That's what I did it. And now everyone calls that Kraken Doug. Nice. Done. Now that you know about Doug and his spiracy, we are going to talk about, or rather, tie back to episode number 84, Smallsville. And the guest for that episode was Flawful Jared, and the topic was all about making an adventure happen inside of a town, and how to really flesh out that town so it would be enough content for your players to live in, or adventure in, or through. Although it was fantastic then going to the forums after that, and... A lot of players' reaction to that was, well, I couldn't just stay in one town. I'd have to leave. I'd have to go. I have to... The, the, uh, so many of them are itinerants at heart, even just mentioning staying in one place, and they started <laughs> to get all a flutter. Uh, I'd have to t- set the town on fire, so I'd have to leave, or at least someone else <laughs> would come to where I am. You mean I need to know people? Oh, no. Human interaction. Run. Mm-mm. And for Diamnastics, it is number 70, a one-ghost town. Interesting. Mm. So it was mentioned in the last gymnastics, um, or not the last one of them. I don't know. <laughs> this whole recording thing, it's tougher than you'd think it is. It is. But in one of the previous ones, rather than reinvent the wheel, I just decided to use one of the wheel generators, aka Donjon, and I just told it to create for me a town that we could just drop into Dayaim Bay and begin working with. So there's a bit of a controversy, though, on how to say this town. Morgan, what is your guess? Well, there is. So- some people, like myself, firmly believe that the town should be pronounced something like Kaidway, because it's spelled K-I-D-W-E. And to my mind, that gives me basically two options unless you're playing silly persons and running around making up fake letters that aren't actually in there. So using the letters we've got, it's either Kaidway, which almost sounds like a place that you would find in a fantasy realm, or Kidwee, which is what it's mostly spelt like. And no one wants to call their town Kidwee, especially not if you then have to Google that one DMnastics episode with the town called Kidwee, and then you've got Kidwee in your Google. Yep. Not going to do it. No. So we will go with Kaidway. Kaidway. Certainly not even if we were fighting uh, a jellyfish sting would no. we be Googling such things. Not even then. No. Because let's things. face it, if you've been stung by a jellyfish, you're basically dead. Just give in to death. We all know it's in- inevitable because the jellyfish get you, then the sharks get you, then the drop bears get you, and that's it. Okay. I was going to say, I don't go in the ocean, 
that much, but I'd go even less if I found out the jellyfish would murder me. And the puffer fish and the, the stone fish and so many murder things. <laughs> so for Kaidway, it is a relatively small town because that's kind of the premise, not to have this giant Baldur's Gate Waterdeep feel. And of course, you could theoretically adventure in those. I mean, Waterdeep has all of Under Mountain under it. And this is only a town of 60, mostly human some halfling and the village was actually built around a ring of ancient stone monoliths and it is currently governed by an arcane sorcerer a male human named midhi kidway is infamous for the ghost which haunts its streets at night dun 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 so from that point basically the question was now that we have this town of kidwe with midhi in it kidway from there it was figuring out what else was in this little hamlet, this town? So it was picking an NPC or a place that an NPC would fit into or talking about that stone monolith or the ghost and uh, possible quests and just basically ideas to make that town an interesting long-term location for players, either as something they return back to or something they stick around in and don't leave. And I'd have to say there have been some fantastic posts on the forum for this one, some really solid solid posts. I mean, we had some really nice breakdown there by Blake Ryan doing a bunch of maths and logistics on town population and location that have uh, come in handy when trying to think of what we would actually do. Just some really or, or almost just like, okay, so there are stone monoliths, therefore you'd need solid ground, therefore it can't be sandy or swamp, and it's not too far from hills or mountains. Although I feel like it could be if it's kind of a Stonehenge type thing where you've come from mm. one mountain miles upon miles away all the way across. And with magic in the world, that's a lot easier than it was in real life when they did it actually for reals. So it doesn't necessarily need to be near the hills and valleys and hills. Just a, yeah, really, really fun little setup there that he's done. Um, and then I think we're going to have to, we have to mention IB Plunderin. Oh yeah. And then mention IB Plunderin. And then keep mentioning IB Plunderin because IB Plunderin went to town on this town. I see what you did there. Yes, so much so that I created and then gave them the award of Brosiden. And I think it's, <laughs> if you click on their name on the forums, it will actually show a picture of Brosiden and awarding them the that amazing award because of how much lifting they did for this one. And they, they broke it down into different segments and they talked about the town in general, and then they talked about the stone monolith, and then they talked about the ghost, and they then the sorcerer, and they just kind of, they separated each one into different posts. And the post that I was drawn to initially, and the one that's kind of my pick or mention, would have to be the section where they talked about the monoliths being part of an ancient power, kind of sealed by the monoliths. And the ghost that haunts the town is actually the soul of an archmage, who lost their life sealing that ancient power in. They then go on to suggest what that ancient power could possibly be. And at one point in that, they mention the idea of it being a Tarrasque buried underneath the town. And that because of this, the town is plagued with earthquakes that no one knows the reason for. And they just assume it's maybe because we're on a fault line or the gods are angry with us. No one realizes that it's because of this Tarrasque. And so then you would have to go about trying to find out that it's a Tarrasque, possibly talking with the ghost, and then finding how to deal with that, reseal it if those seals are weakening, or possibly stopping cultists from unsealing it. 
I also thought that it could be quite a, a fun idea because I'm a big fan of prequels. Hashtag Rogue One. I... <laughs> And there are no prequels before that movie. The, the salt in wounds setting that's currently being worked on by J.M. Perkins partially revolves around this giant Tarrasque that is itself surrounded by a giant city. And I thought, wouldn't this be an interesting prequel to that idea? Sort of this idea of being in a small town with the Tarrasque buried under it. If the Tarrasque then wakes up and escapes and you hunt it down and then capture it, that eventually becomes that city. That is a great idea. I think it's wonderful, especially because it also makes me think of Cabin in the Woods. Like that very, like those immediately what I thought is that there's so much more underneath the ground. And also I really like that idea because super secret, not secret anymore because I'm going to say it on air. I'm actually going to help write the salt and wound setting. Wash my mouth out with soap. It's, because that is fantastic. <laughs> it's true. I am going to be one of the freelance writers helping uh, fulfill the Kickstarter that did amazing. And you should go check that out. Yes. Yes, you should. And certainly, and I, I was a, a unashamed backer of that Kickstarter and enjoyed it quite immensely and cannot wait to get my hands on the, the end result. Though I'm wondering, how do you become a freelance artist of such renown? Because I've been sending in J.M. Perkins my post-it notes and he has yet to respond to any of them. I've been sending in napkins that have only some tea on them and mostly ideas and just no response. None. It could be probably the postal system. I think that that's the only logical explanation why post-its and napkins haven't landed you everything. I think so. I think so. And certainly, I mean, I I can say to to give you some idea of what the Australian postage system is like very quickly, I once ordered something from America, got to watch it live on my computer as it traveled from one side of America to the other in one day, got to watch it live as it traveled from America to Australia in two days. It then arrived in Sydney and vanished for two weeks. (laughs) It was slightly used when you got it or? I don't know. No, it just, I think someone put it in the back of a bus and then forgot about it. And left it behind for two weeks and it just travelled around and around in circles until it eventually got to my house. But that's what Australian Post is like. It's truly terrible. And that's the only thing I can think is that it'll get to J.M. Perkins soon and I'll be able to watch it get to him and then be caught in his beard soon. But at the moment, it's currently trapped in Australia somewhere. So if you're travelling to Australia and you happen to see a post-it note or a napkin for J.M., just take a snapshot of that and tweet it to him for me if you could that'd be great thanks perfect well with that we're gonna well, what keep... was your pick i know we're, we're gonna move on to my pick then i actually and this should come as no surprise i'm going to pick something else from i'd be plundering <laughs> and it was actually his description of midhe and that they were so he's actually kind of like a eccentric but very jovial sorcerer in their late 40s but they're not very good. No, that's not true. They're not very powerful in the normal Vancian system that we all think of is that, oh, I need to hit level nine, I need to get a wish, and then I'm unstoppable, which is true. But instead, (laughs) he's almost like a cantrip master is the term that he used. And I think that that's one of the coolest things out there because I feel like cantrips get underused in the first place, but then to extrapolate that out into an entire class just seemed like the coolest thing I could think of. And essentially everything that you could do with that, like finding cooler reagents to use to make them more powerful or just really thinking outside the box on how to make things, make cantrips 
be like the whole class. So I think that's awesome. And maybe I will try and create a cantrip master. Who knows? And especially because it means that if you do come across a favorite cantrip of yours, you can just fire it again and again and again and again in a single encounter. Mm-hmm. And you can, that would be awesome. Just throwing out the same crazy madness over and over again. I, I also like the fact that apparently when making decisions, he sort of flips a coin. That's right. And I don't think it matters what side the coin lands on because <laughs> he flips it. And as it's in the air, it he casts light on it so that above his head, it kind of goes ding when he has an idea. <laughs> and I think that's just, that's just sufficiently bizarre and strange and kind of vain but also harmlessly vain because he's like this kind of looks cool but goofy and that's sort of my whole oeuvre and so he's just bored into it entirely and he's like i'm mm-hmm. gonna do a silly thing while deciding stuff and i thought that was quite a fun change on the idea of combining a flipping of a coin for an idea and a light bulb for an idea which is just something strange enough for an npc to have that that would make them memorable in your games Yep, and that is definitely some great examples of that. I mean, the other one is the Goliath Alchemist, no less, that I'd be plundering made. And they're named Anthe Night Thistle Blintzhorn. And it's just another great example of how to make like a really compelling, quirky NPC. If you get nothing else from this, or rather these forum posts, go check them out and you have plug and play NPCs that your players will probably never forget. So go check those out. But speaking of things that they could use that they'll never forget, I think you and I should lift the mental weights right now. Okay, play the theme song. Ta-ha! Lifting weights is what I do. Look at me, lift these weights. Every time that plays, I laugh like a maniacal maniac. It's great because it was a terrible joke. And then like a mean, mean, cruel, terrible, mean person, you not only kept the joke in, but you one upped me and actually turned it into a thing. And now it is a thing. And I love it. It's so good. I actually spent quite a bit of time to try and find that backing music and then even (laughs) more time splitting your audio apart so it would time itself pretty well. It times wonderfully. And there we have a bumper. So I'm trying to think of ways that we can best add content to this town i mean we've already got a lot going on with the monolith and the idea that maybe it is actually pieces of the tarasque that were then used to seal it but then you have these cultists that were placed into the town and i think that that could be a really cool way and actually dm genesis act just recently posted the idea about the cultists being in the populace but maybe the populace doesn't actually know secret cultists with secret meetings Having secret meetings for the mm-hmm. greater good. They might say that, but I don't think that's true. I think they want the Tarask to come out, and I don't think that's for the greater good. They want the Tarask to come out for the greater good. <laughs> Sorry, I may have recently seen Hot Fuzz. <laughs> I was going to say, that it is a pretty good name for an evil corporation, and uh, the easiest way to get people to join you. Yes, we're called the greater good. Yes. But you've murdered everyone for the, the greater, greater good. good. So how could we generate an NPC or what NPC do we want to generate that is the, ooh, the leader of the cultists? The leader of the cultists. 
That's an interesting one because you could go either way with that. You could either go for someone who very clearly looks evil, but I feel like you'd want one of the new occultists to be that. You'd need someone who does not seem evil, who's not necessarily in a position of power. So it's not the mayor of the town. It's not one of the main town leaders. It's someone sort of so unassuming and is not a friend to everyone, but is just seen as almost a nothing person. So something like the baker's assistant, like the apprentice Mm. baker. Because you wouldn't think the apprentice baker who just wants to learn how to bake red is actually the all-powerful secret leader of this cult group. And yet. Well, and so that was the other thing that I was thinking, choosing whether or not they would be very, like, in everyone's face about it. But like you said, being the mayor or someone like that would quickly put you out there. I mean, again, we're only working with 60 people and seven of these are cultists. The <laughs> Those are bad odds. The... <laughs> idea though that they're the baker's assistant is really interesting because then they would not only be kind of like oh they're just that but they would also have interactions with it probably everyone in town yep and you'd also they'd be able to put blame out on other people and you wouldn't think oh it's weird seeing them up late at night at weird hours because those are baker's hours you're out there Mm -hmm. baking at four in the morning of course you're going to be out there doing strange things and maybe you're singing a strange song to yourself as you're collecting flour or you're doing something strange and having to go out and collect the orders that people want to put into the baker and then delivering those orders and getting used to the goings on of everyone in their daily schedule so they're baker by night cultist by also night (laughs) (laughs) what would be their day job or like profession like what kind of class are we looking at here ah if we were to stat them because it wouldn't Mm -hmm. just be villager common that would be the fake stat block that they wear over the top of their real stat block I mean, if we wanted to, and we were continuing to be inspired by J.M. Perkins, we could have a level 20 commoner, but... We, we could! The adequate commoner, if you're interested. But if we wanted to... If we wanted to make them classier, how would we do that? So my first thought is actually Paladin. Because the whole alignment restriction is kind of gone by the wayside. So I think that a Paladin would be a really interesting way to do that. But also for all, the whole thing of being a paladin is you're doing it for your deity and what you believe your deity to think to be correct. Now, if you're laboring under the, say, delusion that the Tarask is your deity, freeing mm-hmm. that Tarask is totally within the realms of what a paladin would do. True. And just because, and I think it'd be a fun twist on a paladin because the whole thing of a paladin is you see, you know, as, as people sort of have said in the past with the restrictions on Paladin, like there are no levels of grey. It's either you are good or you are bad. You are bad, right, you're evil, we're going to take you out. But if we're assuming that this Paladin already exists in this world of grey where you genuinely like everyone in your town, but also you want to raise up this Tarasque and have it destroy the entire world because that's what it wants and you're its follower, maybe... What you understand to be good and evil are not necessarily what the Dungeon Master's Guide understands to be good and evil. Yep. I mean, we've said it several times, if not more than several. The best villains are the ones that think they're doing the right thing. Working for the greater good. (laughs) Yes. I was like, I didn't know if I was going to say it or if you were going to say it. (laughs) And I appreciate that it was you. What could be an interesting tell that this baker not Baker, has that could maybe tip the hand towards your player characters, figuring it out. Like the, it's the Baker's assistant. Maybe it's something mm-hmm. as, oh, I don't know. 
Yeah, and part of me debates that whether or not there should be one because it's the cult leader. But I'm thinking of ideas on like how to flesh out NPCs that are essentially undercover agents for some reason. Our reason happens to be cultists for the Tarask. Well, I feel like if they're going to be flushed out, it's almost by design. They're the kind of character who would know you're catching up. Maybe a couple of their cultist members have started dying because you've discovered them and they brought it to the mayor and the mayor's sort of said, oh, this is terrible as you were delivering something. And so you're starting to set up the baker because no one looks at the assistant. Mm. And so you'd want to start doing something really weird, like the baker has set up this amazing bread design of the town because it's only like seven or eight houses. Of course they can. And so you've turned around and you've you've made that stone circle and you've done a couple of other things and you've built into it this weird design that is in part some kind of cantrip or trap that could affect people that eat that bread in the middle of this sort of sitting of people trying to discuss who this cultist leader is. And just mm. as someone gets to the, I think it might be the baker, the trap goes off, the baker runs away, everyone thinks it's the baker... And it's only later on through tracking down that baker that they then discover, no, it was the baker's assistant. And when we went and tracked him down, the assistant back in town has completed this ritual or nearly completed this ritual. Now what do we do? Yeah, Ooh, I like that. I really like tipping the hand and making it seem like it's the baker. <laughs> the jerk. Bread-based larceny. <laughs> I also like envisioning that they've made a small town out of bread. That makes me happy. <laughs> Trying to think of other things that we could add either to this or if we want to just jump ship and create a new one. Well, I think I feel like if the assistant to the baker is a human and this town is mostly made of humans and halflings, we may want to also create a halfling. Okay, let's do it. So we've got a human cultist leader. Oh, do we have a name for the human cultist leader? We don't. Doug. Well, I mean, I am. Yep. I immediately did as soon as you as soon as I said we don't I was like yes we do. <laughs> Done. Doug. Last name AC, middle name Spear. <laughs> Doug Spearcy. Although speaking of like middle names and last names, I do like the fact that the Goliath what was it the alchemist. The Goliath alchemist, the full name is Anthe Night Thistle Blintshorn, but everyone in the town would just call her Thistle. Mm -hmm. And anyone from outside the town would be like, oh, that's a fun nickname for an alchemist. And I get it because alchemist and mm, yep. reagents and thistle, fun. And you're like, no, no, it's it's literally part of her name. It's just, that's what we call her. Just a, just a small part. You're saying the whole thing's not very fun. No. And, and to the point where like some characters growing up in this town wouldn't realize that's not her name because everyone calls her just mm, thistle. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't be until say like her mother was very angry at her and used her full name that they would go, wait, who? Yep. Because I know, and I know it sounds like people say that's that's a bit odd. Surely you would know their full name. But if everyone in the town, and the town's only 60 people, call them Thistle, you wouldn't necessarily, unless someone brought it up in dinner conversation, and why would they? True. Just like you would figure out eventually that my first name is not Neil. <gasps> what? What? Yeah. My first name is Floyd. Nice. Mm-hmm. And I'm a junior, and my son is a third, so I oh, got love that it. going on. We learned so much here in the DMnastics gym. Yes, that's been going for an hour and will ultimately probably be like 10 minutes long. Uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> There's a lot on this editing floor. Yeah. The idea of halfling is a great one. I'm wondering what we could do. So we've got an alchemist in town. We've got a baker. What if we had a halfling blacksmith? Okay, yep, that works. 
Halfling blacksmith. I like it. Let's start with the name. What are we going to name this one, though? Well, they, their full name could be Ard Hecker. Ard Hecker? Yeah, so Ard is the first name, A-R-D, and then H-E-K-A okay. is their second name. Uh, so Ard Hecker. And uh, the fact that that is a very bad translation of Bengali for the word half mm. is irrelevant. And totally not how I make characters. Nobody start looking into how I make characters. <laughs> Done. So we have Ard Hecker. The halfling blacksmith. Although, actually, I will say one of the listeners has written in to me about going in blind about one of the characters I've created. They figured out the name, though not what the name means. So that's fun. Well, the mystery goes unsolved. The spiracy deepens. <laughs> Ever deeper, the dark spiracy goes. <laughs> so we have Ard. Yes. Good old dependable Ard. I'm trying to think of how a blacksmith in a hamlet of 60 keeps employed. Well, I mean, you've got... Day-to-day stuff, I would assume. Like, yeah, shoes and like, horseshoes. The same way that any blacksmith in a very small town would stay employed. They'd be doing small things like, yeah, shoes for horses, nails for houses, mm-hmm. you know, r- segments of roofing, pots, pans. Pretty much, yeah, any, uh, any odd and end. That's what I was thinking, utensils, anything like that. What would be their signature mark? That they would, like, stamp into everything that they make. Well, it depends. If they're really not great at their job, they'd probably just take the end of a chisel and just go tink and put a little line on there. And when people go, what's that? They'd go, oh, it's the bottom half of a hammer because I'm a halfling and I'm a blacksmith. And so that single line there is totally representative of the bottom shaft of a hammer and not because I just have no artistic integrity. I like that, but I also like that on some of them, the ones that they do a really good job, <laughs> they put a hammer head. <laughs> and it's like beautifully done in like silver filigree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like it. But only the head. And then the all the other stuff, it's just the line. <laughs> oh, I do like it. And it's wonderfully weirdly petty, which you would totally have in a small town like that. Oh, for, yeah, for the people that they don't like. Yeah. that They have to take all the business because it doesn't make sense not to. But then they, for for anyone they don't like, they just get this essentially what looks like a deep gouge (laughs) in in whatever they've purchased. I like it. And I think for this one, we would definitely want to go with a high-level commoner. Yes. I think it would be much, much cooler doing it that way. And it could be an interesting way. The whole concept is to have a town that can support your your players through a long period of time. The other thing that you can do is essentially have the town or the people in the town that support your players level up. I would use air quotes, but again, we're on a purely audio medium and I don't know how to air quote hard enough that you can hear it. But if they level up, you could have Ard start making weapons and armor. You could have the alchemist start making stronger and stronger potions, potentially dabbling in creating spells. It makes me think of playing Diablo 3. You go pay the people in the town to level up so that they can keep making you better and better things. And that's an, that's another way that you could keep your players invested. And it could be literally invested in the town is by having 
all the people just get more powerful with them. Like in Fallout, people turn around and say, look, I can get you better stuff, but I need to learn how to do this and I need to make these connections and it's going to require mm-hmm. a bit of work from you. Now, whether that work is to go somewhere else and hand deliver something to another town and, and to the master of another town and say, look, would you be willing to share your worth or your knowledge or access to a library so that I can bring some books back for the herbalist or so I can bring back some special tools for the blacksmith that they've heard about, you know, or trade routes for a peddler to come through our town instead of a different town and bring some of this stuff with them. And certainly building that kind of thing into, because if you're genuinely caring for a town, for a small town and for the growth of that town, you're going to be as an adventuring party invested in the growth of that town. And that's not to say that you stay in the town all the time. And certainly in a small town like this, that's a little bit less likely to do. If you're going to be just inside the walls of the town, you'd want it to be a bit more robust. So you're all all about building that town up and you're all about going out and creating these trade routes and these opportunities and getting quests from family, friends and people that maybe like three of the members of the party, but one of you, all of your utensils have got that little tink in them instead of a beautiful hammer. And (laughs) maybe, you know, when you then have to go, you've got one of the party members saying, well, look, I think we should focus on getting stuff in for the alchemist and everyone else going, but the blacksmith's so nice. Look at all this lovely stuff they made for us. (laughs) Look at this amazing hammer (laughs) symbol with silver filigree. Yeah, I think that would be a fantastic way to to flesh out this village if you were to start playing in it, or even if you came across it in your travels. Definitely. Well, sir, I think we have done it. I think we've done more than it, and we have tons and tons of extra content that I won't know what to do with. Indeed. And I feel like we've lifted enough weights that we've built a Tarask town. Mm -hmm. A tiny Tarask town. And hopefully we haven't woken the Tarask. No, hopefully. But... If not, hopefully players will come in and solve that problem for us. But if people wanted to go somewhere and find out more from you or hear more from you, where could they go? Well, they could go to Australia, specifically Victoria, specifically Geelong, just outside of Melbourne. And then they could text me and let me know that they're there with a big box of tea. And then I could come and get the tea from them. And that would be great. But if you're not willing to come all the way down here and bring me tea, which I understand, you can find me on Twitter is the easiest place to get me, going in blind D&D. Done. And if you wanted to hear more from us, or see more from us rather, you can always follow us on Twitter at DMnastics, all one word, all lowercase. Although I don't know that Twitter is case sensitive now that I've said it. And you can check out our daily gymnastics there. Or if you wanted to, you can email us with any ideas that you have or anything about the content we've provided at dmnastics at gmail.com. And for everything else on the network, just head over to blockpartypodcastnetwork.com. But above everything else, I want to implore you, the listener, to join the forums and take part in these challenges and exercises as well as the other amazing conversations being had. And to do that, head on over to dungeonmasterblock.freeforums.net and try some Deonastics so your players don't ask, do you even lift? Oh, I could barely lift my right arm because I did so many. I don't know if you heard me counting, I did over a thousand. Just watch out for the guns. They'll get you. <laughs> <laughs>